started this morning, I just want to start with a question. All three points on the, for you note takers, are questions. And so just a quick question by way of introduction. Uh, how many of you would say you like hot food? So not hot coffee in the morning. We all like that, or most. Um, but hot food. How many of you would say you like hot food? So hot sauces, Thai food, uh, Chinese food. You, you order fours and fives at the restaurants. Okay. So for me, a uh, jalapeno bagel at Bagel Tree is about as good as, as a morning can, can possibly get. Um, hot food is something that I've kind of grown to like over the last uh, five, ten years. Uh, often when you talk about hot food, um, people will either say no way or they'll say, well, well, what do you like? And they're not really curious. They're wanting to compare what they like to what you like so that they can say, oh, that, that's cute. You like that. Well, let me show you something that's much hotter that I like and, and can tolerate. Um, and so just spirit of full disclosure, I only order a three at the Chinese restaurants and the Thai restaurants in town. So when they ask you how hot you like it, you can go from one to five. I only order a three. Uh, so a three, I can get through my meal with only one pitcher of water, but I can still feel my lips and I can feel my face and I can control how much I sweat. Um, if I go with a four or a five, all of those things are out the window and I won't be able to enjoy my food. I know some of you can handle that. You are much more impressive than I am. I'm just a three. Some of you have had Tim's Cascades uh, jalapeno chips. That has become uh, a treat uh, for me. Uh, and there's one hang-up, one problem, one thing I don't like about Tim's Cascades jalapeno chips. Uh, and that is, is that the bag is this tall and the portion inside the bag is about like this. Okay, so... <laughs> You can relate. So it's disappointing, isn't it? When you look at the bag on the shelf and it looks like, I mean, it's got great posture. It's standing up straight. Uh, it looks like it will provide snacking delight for weeks. And instead you pour it into the bowl and it's about a half a serving. And if there's kids' hands in the bowl, it's, it's gone before you, you get there. It's disappointing, right? Uh, it's good from afar uh, and far from good. It's uh, false advertising. It's two-thirds air, one-third chips, right? It's disappointing. And so uh, as we come into 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning, I, I just want to submit to you that I think for some aspects of faith, aspects of following Jesus have been disappointing. And so maybe you're someone who would say, uh, I thought coming to Jesus meant that all of the sin, all of the things that have plagued me would just melt away the moment I started following Jesus. Kind of like snow in Roseburg, just gone the next day. And we can attest that it hasn't, right? Everything that has ailed us hasn't just melted away now that we're following Jesus. And that, that can be disappointing. For some, maybe you thought that taking a step towards Jesus meant this um, every day better than the last closeness with him and closeness with his people. And instead, you've had days, weeks, months, or even seasons where you felt distant from him and distant from his people. On occasion, it's felt more like being a stranger at a Christmas gathering than an intimate family uh, dinner. And that's disappointing. For some of you, you thought, wow. I'm going to see God's power every day. Victory in my life over sin. He's going to use me in Douglas County. My entire workplace is going to follow Jesus once they see my example and hear the things that God gives me to say. 
And instead, you look back and you think, ooh, don't see a lot of that power. Haven't seen a lot of transformed lives. And that's been disappointing. And so, 1 Peter 2 Peter is going to tell us that there is a way to live life such that when Jesus returns, we will not be disappointed. There is a way to live life informed by Scripture that means that we will not be disappointed when Jesus returns. And even beyond not being disappointed, it will cause us to overflow with praise for the one who has called us out of darkness. We'll be able to be grateful for being called out of darkness in spite of some of the disappointment that we might see around us. If you have your Bibles, turns with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read just the first few verses uh, together to get started. Uh, Peter's going to list a few uh, prohibitions and, and then a few directives, a few commands for us to just to get started here. Uh, and we want to talk about those and see how they relate to life in Christ informed by his word that overflows with praise. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. I'll start it off. Peter says this. He says, Having purified... Oh, fast forward. There it is. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy. All malice, deceit, hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He says, verse 2, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, develop, cultivate a longing for the pure milk, for the word of God. And then verse 1, put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Now, you've got to know that just before this text, at the end of chapter 1, Peter had just finished explaining what they should do if they are ones who, according to verse 3, are called to a living hope. People who are called to a living hope. He explains a little bit about what that means and what that looks like. And now he dives in a little bit deeper on the how-to aspect of what that looks like. And he starts by saying, don't, 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 don't. So why does he start by don't, 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 don't? Because none of us like that, generally. Nobody likes to be told no, um, how about deceit? What is deceit? Falsely representing ourselves to each other. Anybody falsely represent themselves to anyone else? Anyone have a rough week, get bad health news, have something meltdown or implode in your own heart, or in your own life, and you lost your temper and you just felt completely defeated? And then maybe we walk in Sunday morning, and we smile, and we shake hands. How was your week? It was great. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. And we falsely represent ourselves to each other. How about hypocrisy? What is that? Saying one thing and doing another. That wouldn't be us, right? We are, we are in step. What is hypocrisy? Saying one thing and doing another. Guys, uh, maybe think about marriage. What is it when you tell your wife that you love her and then you spend more time trying to get promoted at work than to love her as Christ commands us to love her? Um, guys, marriage, uh, what is it when we tell our wives we love them and then maybe look at things or look at people in ways that diminishes our desire for our wife and increases our desire for something else? Uh, women, marriage, again, uh, what is it when we 
tell our husbands that we love them uh, and then tell everyone else what a mess they are. Uh, don't, we, don't we say one thing sometimes and, and, and do another? And he goes on, and, and we could keep talking, malice, envy, slander, uh, but essentially what we see is that the sins of Peter's audience that mark their lives before following Christ are still present in their lives now that they're following Christ. And if left unchecked, it will completely obliterate their ability to do what he's just told them to do at the end of verse 1, to love each other from an earnest heart. So, Paul, so Peter doesn't just say love each other from an earnest heart. He says, here's some things that are going to blow this up and make it impossible for you to do what I've just said. And even more than that, these things are going to make it impossible to show the love of God to your community. So we can come in and we can have fake smiles and we can look at each other and, and shake hands and say, great week, great week, high five, high five, uh, let's go. We, I mean, that's an option that we have. We can say one thing and we can do another. We can, uh, he uses envy and slander. We can look at each other and want what each other has and say terrible things about each other to our face or behind our back and tell ourselves that there's plenty of good reasons for why we said that and, and they deserved it and it's not, not true, or we can be committed to loving each other from a pure heart and showing the love of God and the power of God to Douglas County. We can't do both. So Peter starts with some prohibitions. He says, stop. you got to stop. James 4.1 says that our internal dysfunction boils over and that's what leads to the fighting uh, between us. That's what leads to disagreements between us. That's what creates dysfunction between us. So he says, if, if you're internal dysfunction, if you're internally broken, internally out of whack, your focus gets all weird and you become the focus, not the Lord, his power and his work and his commands. And when we become the focus, everything breaks down. And so the first question from 1 Peter 2, 1, 2, and 3 is simply, is your focus right? Is your focus right? Or are you at the center of your focus? What you want is at the center of your focus. How no one else does it right. Peter says, I'll tell you how to get your focus right. He says, long for the pure milk, long for the pure, undiluted, unaltered word of God. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you might grow up into salvation. I mentioned last week we got a couple bummer lambs and when they see milk or when they hear the door open and know that milk is coming, their tails and their legs start moving, right? Those tiny little pencil legs move as fast as they possibly can when there's milk to be had. Their little tail wags and wags and wags and wags when there's milk to be had. If they've got to go a long ways to get the milk, they're going to go a long ways and they're not complaining about it. If they've got to climb stairs, they're going to climb those stairs very quickly and they're not going to complain about it. If there's a door in their way, they're going to make sure they're loud enough so that that door gets open quickly so that they can get the milk. And when they get to the milk, they don't breathe, they just drink, right? They don't pause, they don't swallow, sit back, sit down, and kind of let it settle. They just go until it's empty, right? They crave that milk, they need that milk. It has what they need for life. And and so Peter says to cultivate a longing cultivate a longing for the pure milk, for the word of God. How do we do that? How do we cultivate a longing for the pure word of God? Uh, 
to continue with the sheep. A week ago, they were three or four days old, and they had a very small dose, and we had to help them, right? We had to lead them to it, and we couldn't lead them to it and then let them drink. We had to feed them through a bottle, okay? It took a lot of help for them to get what they needed. Some of us who are new to the Lord need some help getting what we need. And that's normal when you're new in the Lord. That's normal when you have a limited amount of exposure to the Word of God. So get the help that you need. There's all sorts of wonderful tools you can use to get started. There's Bible reading plans. Some of you have been on a Bible reading plan for the last 20 years. You love it. Some of you have never been been on one, and you never will. Find a tool that's useful to you. There's things out in the lobby. There's the workbooks that we provided. There's dozens. There's hundreds of great resources. Find something that will help lead you. Now, the lambs are drinking more now than they did a week ago, right? And they're getting closer to actually feeding uh, for themselves. They basically rip it out of our hands. Uh, As we grow in the Lord, not only do we need to find age-appropriate doses, we need to progress to becoming self-feeders. Some of us have been saved for a very long time and still rely on someone else to tell us what the Bible says and still rely on someone else to tell us who God is. We we need to grow. We need to progress to self Feeders. We need to hear from God ourselves, not just through our favorite author, through a podcast, through a teacher, or through a preacher. It's not just about understanding and acquiring biblical knowledge. It's about being introduced to God. And the more layers there are between us and God, the harder that is. And so what we want to constantly be doing is moving in a direction towards self-feeding, where we can open the Word of God for ourselves We can read through it, ask thoughtful questions of it, come to some sense of understanding and be transformed in our hearts and have our affections for Jesus stirred. We want to become self-feeders. And then last, do it together. Uh, We're saved, when we're saved, right? We're saved by a relational God, right? Three in one. We're saved to part of his eternal family, right? Not just as individuals, to his eternal family. And we're saved into a local family a local church and a, and a big C church. So all true believers, but that manifests itself in gatherings all around town uh, just like this, right? We're part of his forever family and then part of a new family here on earth too. And, and so if, I guess I just, in the simplest way I could think to say it, if you want God's will for, life, for your life, you're going to want God's people in your life. If you want God's will for your life, you're going to want God's people in your life. So do it together. Find someone who's maybe where you're at. Find someone who's a little bit further beyond and don't be ashamed of what you don't know. Be excited that you found someone that knows a little bit more than you that will help bring you along. Find age-appropriate doses. Move towards becoming a self-feeder. Cultivate that longing by doing, by seeking, by desiring his word, by reading his word. Together, Here's just a few things from Scripture that help us understand why it's so vital, in addition to the fact that this is the living, breathing Word of God that has been recorded for us for thousands of years, carefully, meticulously preserved so we have exactly what we need, according to John, so that we might have life. Uh, here's a couple things besides that. One, it alerts us to sin in our life. And it alerts us to sin that might live beneath the surface. Things that might be masked uh, by 
just the way that we are, our personality, the family that we grew up in, the things that we might not be attentive to, right? How many of you know that you step on other people's feet sometimes, you sin sometimes, and sometimes it's not even intentional, it's just kind of who we are, and then we discover it, and we go, whoa, I had no idea uh, I was doing that. We understand from Hebrews 4.12 that the Word of God is living and active, right? And it judges the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10 says that not only does it help us see and discern sin, it helps us turn away from it, right? It helps us turn away from it. I mean, what would, what would it look like for the things that are spiritually plaguing you right now if, if you were able to fully and completely turn away from those things? It would change a lot, wouldn't it? The Word of God helps us turn away from sin. Uh, John twenty thirty one. It says these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We just never want to forget that ultimately it's about new life. It's about life in Christ and the instructions for that, the guide to that, the explanation for that, the God of that provision is described here. It's instruction, right? David says, your word is a lamp unto my feet. Matthew 28, we get the great commission, the command for all of us to be disciple makers. It's where we learn of his promises. Hebrews 13.5 says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. It's where we discover the things about that God says about us and about himself. It's where we get the most important warnings. 1 Timothy 6.10 is the passage where it says, the love of money is the root of all evil. And how much pain and suffering in our life would be different? How much pain and suffering in our life uh, would be non-existent or lessened if we would have learned that lesson at a very young age. Ultimately, it shows us the Father, right? Jesus said in John 14, 9, that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And Jesus unfolds on the page of Scripture and the plan of the Father unfolds from cover to cover. I think I said last night, last week, we can't ignore what God has said and claim that we can't hear him speak. We can't consider his instruction once a week and then be confused about why we're not hearing from him moment by moment and day by day. So the first question is simply this, is your focus right? Or is your focus on yourself? The way our focus gets right is through the word of God. Uh, Second, is your foundation right? Once we see the God of the Bible for ourselves, once we learn of who he is and what he asks for, for us and asks of us, then it gives us a sense of what it looks like to go and to live what we've learned. Is your foundation right? Let's read 1 Peter 4, 5, and 6 together. Verse 4 says this, as you come to him, him, a living stone, so this is Jesus, rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, right? Jesus, rejected by men, Jesus, chosen by God and precious. Verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, you yourselves, like Jesus, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Verse 6, then, for it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 
Whoever believes in him, when Jesus returns, will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed with the return on the investment. If Jesus is both the living stone, he's the example, and he's the cornerstone, he's the foundation, how how do we build our lives? How do we build our lives on that cornerstone? How do we orient everything around him? How How do we start there? Because you know that if the foundation is wrong, it doesn't matter what you build on top of the foundation, it's all wrong, right? If the foundation is wrong, it doesn't matter how pretty the house is on top of the foundation, it's all wrong and it all needs to be fixed. Peter says that we're being built up into spiritual houses, right? We're being built up. The Holy Spirit is building us up into spiritual houses. Spiritual houses, uh, the imagery is, is temple-like, right? Where the purpose of the temple was to uh, show the glory of God. The purpose of the temple was to be a place of meeting between God and, and his people, a place where sacrifices were to be offered, where God's people had the incredible opportunity to offer up something praiseworthy, to offer up something meaningful, to say thank you to a God who had given them so much. It was built, it was built incredibly, right? In amazing attention to detail. In fact, some of you who have started to get into the word of God have said, oh man, if they could have cut out the temple part, that would make this a lot easier. But there's a lot of in detail there, a lot of purpose there. Uh, and we see that the purpose was not to show the skill of the builder, the purpose was to point to God. If the Holy Spirit is building us up, then our job is to yield, right? If the Holy Spirit is building us up, then our job is to yield to the Spirit's work. How do we yield? Yielding means trusting that the Lord's path is better than ours, even when we can't see around the corner. Some of you have situations right now, you can't see around the corner, you don't like the road you're on, and you don't like what you think's around the corner. Part of yielding is trusting God, even when we can't see around the corner. Part of trusting, part of yielding is staying the course, even when the journey seems too long. Part of yielding is believing that God is work as at work, even when it's really hard to see evidence of him at work. Part of yielding means trusting that God is working all things for his glory and our highest good. You remember when uh, Peter was in the boat, and Jesus sent the disciples on ahead of him, and Jesus goes off to pray, and they're out in the boat, and the storm comes up, and and so that's not good. And then in the morning, very early in the morning, uh, Jesus is walking on the water to them. They see him. Someone goes, I think that might be Jesus. Peter says, hey, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come. Peter never misses an opportunity. I imagine Peter was the first one to jump off a bridge into a lake. If there was a high rock, uh, he was the first one to jump. Peter says, if that's you, tell me to come. Jesus says, come on. And Peter jumps in, doesn't he? And he walks towards Jesus and he's walking on the water until he looks around at the waves and then he begins to sink. And what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't stand there and, and laugh. But Jesus doesn't wait until he's under and then, all right, right? Jesus takes him by the hand and grabs him. And so uh, just as we think about yielding, there's the sense that we, that we go to God in the storm, trusting that he's enough. And we take our eyes and we fix them on him and trust that if he needs to pick us up, 
and he's got us by the hand. Peter says, you're being built up into a spiritual house uh, as a holy priesthood, ones who offer sacrifices, who go before God. Um, there's a couple of scriptures that give us a little bit more insight about what a spiritual sacrifice might be. Some of you are familiar with Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, where Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. So there's an aspect of orienting our life around his word, living what we're learning with our bodies, with our minds, with our hearts, with our whole lives, that is a spiritual sacrifice. In Philippians 4.18, Paul uses similar words to describe a, a financial gift that had been entrusted by a community to missionary work. He describes it as a spiritual sacrifice. We talked about stewardship a month ago. When we steward all of our resources well, when we guard carefully and invest carefully what has been entrusted to our care for his kingdom, it's a spiritual sacrifice. Hebrews 13 says, let us continue to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. And it says that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. It says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to the Lord. So there's this sense that building our lives on the foundation, building our lives on Jesus as the cornerstone, to be informed by the word of God, and then to go and to live what we've learned is to orient all of who we are around what Jesus has said, to orient all of what we are around what God has called us to do and to be. And so if we could pause for a minute, I would just want to ask you, is your life built on Jesus as the cornerstone, or do you have a broken foundation? Is your life built on Jesus as the cornerstone, or do you have a broken foundation? Some of you are retired. Some of you are approaching retirement. Some of you uh, eagerly anticipate retirement and know the number of work days remaining to get there. What does retirement mean for you? For some of us, uh, retirement is about control, right? Someone has told me where to be and what to do for long enough, and now it's my time. It's my turn. I get to choose what I want to do. For some of us, retirement is about reward. I've worked for a long time for someone else's benefit. Now it's my turn to benefit. I've worked for a long time. I've invested for a long time. Now it's time for the reward to go and to live and to do the things that I want to do. For some of us, it's about our plans. We've got this narrow idea of what it looks like, of what we're going to do. It's about my control, my plans, my reward. And so I would say that kind of sounds uh, how vaguely uh, how I think about retirement in some senses. That sounds how uh, I've had conversations uh, with some of you about what, how we're looking at retirement. I would ask, does that sound like one whose life is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Jesus commands to make disciples, to know him and to make him known. Uh, they're not contingent upon our employment, right? They're not contingent upon us having a job. If you're retired, you have an incredible opportunity to pass on what you've learned in the Lord to others. You've got a career. Maybe you've been married for some time. Maybe you've raised kids and maybe you've raised grandkids. There's a lot that you've learned. If you're willing to be honest, if you're willing to be authentic about the highs and the lows, you will have an audience. I know 
Uh, at times, young seems trendy, but retirees, you're the backbone. This church needs you. The kingdom of God needs you. Douglas County needs you. You have a special part in God's plan, a special part in God's purpose. Finally, uh, verses 7 through 10, we see from the opening passage uh, Paul's or Peter's prohibition, and he says, get your focus right. You do that through the word of God. Live what you learn. Make Jesus your foundation. Make Jesus your cornerstone. Not what culture says is important. Make Jesus your cornerstone. Don't pursue what everyone around you is pursuing. Make Jesus your cornerstone. Don't live for the same things that your neighbors do. Make Jesus your cornerstone. And then he says, you will not be disappointed. The life built on Jesus will not be disappointed when he returns. And then beyond that, it will overflow in praise. Verses 7, 8, 9, 10 give us a beautiful picture of what real faith looks like, how it overflows. 7, 8, 9, and 10. Here it goes. So the honor for you is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the, storm, the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Okay, so to not believe, to not obey, uh, to not build our lives on Jesus is to, in a sense, make Jesus' life, death, and sacrifice of no value to us. It becomes a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. It's offensive. Peter says, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. But he says, verse 9, but you, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter draws a, a line in the sand, right? You either believe and follow or you don't believe and you don't follow. Jesus coming, living, dying, resurrecting, returning to the right hand of the Father is either the best news there is or it is a curse. It is a condemnation to those who disobey, a rock of offense, a stumbling block. Keep in mind... Peter is writing to an audience who is suffering because they are trying to follow Christ when the flow of current is the current of culture is going in the opposite direction. Right? They're trying to follow Christ. The current of culture is going in the opposite direction. And if that's not bad enough, it's about to get worse. Right? Nero is about to burn Rome and blame Christians, and unimaginable horrors are right around the corner for Peter's audience. For Peter's listeners. So Peter doesn't say, run and hide from culture. He says, if you've built your life on Jesus, proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness in the midst of culture. Peter doesn't say, spend all your time condemning culture and go around pointing your finger at everyone. They're so wrong. You're so right. Criticizing everything. He says, if your life is built on the foundation, if your life is built on the rock, if your life is built on Jesus as your foundation, Share, speak, say, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Right? An eternal inheritance that culture can't touch. So as, 
as culture, again, runs away, uh, as culture runs as fast as possible towards a post-Christian worldview, as culture vilifies a Christian worldview, no longer celebrates a Christian worldview, and in some cases doesn't even uh, value it anymore, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness in culture. We don't have to run from it. We don't have to spend all our time condemning it. Um, Spoke to retirees a minute ago. You can be part of condemning the generations that come after you, or you can be a part of shaping the the generations that come after you. Again, we need you. The kingdom of God needs you. You have such a special part to play. How do we yield? If the outcome of yielding and fixing our focus through the word of God, living what we learn by building our spiritual houses on the rock, by allowing the Spirit's work to build us up, to make us a spiritual house so that spiritual sacrifices become desirable, so that those are the things that we long for, those are the things that we want to do, so that uh, things that previously were attractive become distasteful. Things that previously were a temptation or a snare start to lose their shine, start to lose their polish, start to lose their attractiveness. How do we yield? For some of us, yielding today means saying yes to Jesus. You've done life your way for a very long time, thinking just a little bit more effort and a little bit more luck, and everything will change, and it hasn't, and it won't. So if that's you today, I would say if the foundation is broken, like you don't just need a cosmetic uh, repair, right? It's not an add-on. It's not just uh, new countertops and new cabinets, right? We need an overhaul. We need to take it down to the studs, and the foundation needs to be rebuilt on Jesus. For some of you, yielding means not giving up on a family member even though you'd like to, and even though they probably deserve it. Uh, for some of you, not, uh, or yielding means being committed to someone who has let you down repeatedly. For some of you, uh, yielding means taking something that you have special plans for and making it available to the Lord. For some of us, uh, yielding means letting go of our plans, our intentions, and allowing the Lord to have his way with our lives. Uh, some of you are familiar with Matthew 10:39. It says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. How many of you know the harder you try to hold on to control just about anything, uh, the more you risk killing it? So we read, whoever finds his life will lose it. If, if we want to find it, we want to push a little bit harder, a little bit more luck, a little bit more effort, we'll lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake, whoever yields will find it. From 1 Peter 2, you will not be disappointed if you build your life on the rock. Is your focus right? Is your foundation right? The last question is, is your faith real? Does it overflow in worship? Or are your circumstances more daunting 
Are your circumstances more oppressive? Are your circumstances more important? Are your relationships more important than the one who has called you out of darkness? Are you not able to see the forest through the trees? If you build your life on the rock, you will not be disappointed. You will not open those bag of chips and see two-thirds air and one-third chips, right? You will not be disappointed in the return of your investment. The encouragement today is simply build your life on the rock. Be informed by Scripture. Long for the pure milk. Long for the undiluted Word of God. Live what you learn. Praise God in culture. Let's pray. Lord, I I confess that I have a lot of complaints. No matter how much good you do, there's more I want. No matter how patient you are of me, I want more. So, Lord, I ask this morning that we we would take all the things that that we are pursuing, all the things that we're chasing after, Lord, all the things that we think we want, all the things that we think we need, and I pray that we would lay them at your feet. Lord, help us to cultivate a love for your word that shows us our hearts and our sin, that affirms your direction, that as David says in Psalms 19, makes us wise. Lord, it revives our soul. Lord, many of us this morning need a revived soul and we're working so hard to try to do it ourselves and and lord your word psalms 19 says it is your word it is your instruction it is your precepts it is your law that revives our soul so i pray that we would turn away from the things that we're chasing and turn towards your instruction turn towards your word lord that we would live then what we learn we might discover even this week Lord, that as our foundation is set firmly on your Son, in the midst of a culture that is not pursuing you, in the midst of a culture who celebrates evil, in the midst, Lord, of a culture where the current is flowing in the opposite direction, Lord, our eyes would be fixed solely on you. We would have it in our hearts. Lord, that it would be our overwhelming desire to praise the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness. Lord, remind us, Lord, we are called out of darkness and into life. We are a holy priesthood, Lord, a people chosen for your possession. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.